Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. A few days before his death, a minister visited with him in the hospital. Next to the man's bed was an empty chair, so the minister asked if somebody had recently been by to visit. The old man smiled and said, I imagine Christ on that chair, and I talk with him. He went on to explain, Years ago, a friend told me that prayer was as simple as talking to a close friend. So, every day I pull up a chair and I have a good talk with the Lord. Several days later, the man passed away. His daughter had been sitting with him, but slipped out for a few hours because he seemed to be resting so peacefully. When she returned to the room, she found that he had passed away. Strangely, though, his head was not resting on the pillow. It was resting on the empty chair beside his bed. When she related this unusual scene to the minister, he not only understood its meaning, but also gained a greater understanding of prayer. Oh, that we would all have that kind of closeness with God. And prayer is about closeness with God. It draws us nearer to Him as we spend time with Him in prayer. And closeness to the Lord is where strength and joy and peace is found in life. As this gentleman said, prayer is about having a good talk with the Lord. In our relationship with the Lord, He speaks to us by His Word, and we speak to Him by prayer. And the Lord wants us to speak to Him all the time. And He wants us to share what is on our hearts. And that it, you don't have to think that it has to come out perfectly. The Lord just wants us to be open, honest, and real with Him because prayer is not about a religious, superstitious striving for acceptance with God. Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 to 13 read, But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. The Lord's Prayer, it has meaning, real meaning. Christ never intended for His disciples to repeat the prayer word for word. He begins in verse 9, after this manner, therefore pray ye. Manner means in this way or like this. Not, in, not intending for them to repeat the same words over and over and over again. Now, it is a wonderful and a beautiful prayer because it is, after all, the very words of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. But these words He spoke, He spoke to the people of Israel. 
and it was spoken to Israel in view of them surviving and living through the seven-year tribulation period. And as we'll see, it applies perfectly to the tribulation. These words were not spoken to, nor is it instruction for us, the church, the body of Christ. We are not Israel. And we have the sure hope of being delivered from the wrath to come. We have the pre-tribulational hope of the rapture. The Lord's coming to catch us away to heaven before the tribulation ever begins. So any instruction about the tribulation period and how to live through it does not apply to us. Because we won't be here for any of it. The Lord's Prayer is not for us under grace. And we should not repeat it or even pray after this manner. Our Father, which art in heaven, the prayer begins. The nation of Israel had a relationship with God. He was their father. They were his children, the children of Israel. The Gentiles, the nations at that time, we were not considered children. We were considered dogs under that program. For Israel... To pray our Father meant that they recognized that they had a covenant relationship with the Father, with the true and the living God. And on that basis, God was their Father. He, they were His children. Hallowed be thy name. The name of God is very important in God's prophetic program with the nation of Israel. Hallowed be thy name is a reminder to Israel that as God's chosen people, they had a responsibility to not profane His name among the nations, by their sin and disobedience, but to keep God's name holy and hallowed by how they lived, by how they served, and by how they worshipped Him. They were to keep God's name set apart, which I mean, hallowed word hallowed means. They were to not cast a poor reflection on it in being God's people and in making His name known. And this reminder is for the believing tribulation Jew when they are scattered among the nations in that day thy kingdom come the believing jews in the tribulation period will literally beg for god's kingdom to come from heaven down to the earth at christ's second coming their hope will comfort them and they'll be looking beyond the tribulation and the horrors of it looking forward to their deliverance from it and from their suffering within it when demon-possessed, locust-like creatures are released from the pit of hell and they sting and torture people all over the world, when fires rage everywhere, earthquakes level mountains, water turns to blood, the sun, the moon, and the stars do not give their light, and there is darkness all over the world, they are going to look forward to the joys and peace and glory of the kingdom when Christ reigns on the earth and they'll fervently cry out, Thy kingdom come. They'll be begging for Christ to come to establish His kingdom. This will mean something to them in that day. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven is actually a perfect definition of the kingdom that they are looking forward to come when they say thy kingdom come to the earth. In the kingdom, God's will will be carried out on the earth as it is in heaven. They are not looking forward to go to heaven like we, the body of Christ, are. They are looking for a kingdom to come and be set up on the earth in which God's will is done on the earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. In the middle of the tribulation period, 
it will be required for all to take the mark of the beast to be able to buy and sell. And thus, those who believe in Jesus Christ and who refuse to take the mark will be unable to buy food. So Israel will need actual, real, daily bread, daily food to be provided for them by trust in the Lord. And they will pray for this and God will supernaturally provide bread and food for them in answer to this prayer. Oftentimes the things that happened in Israel's past foreshadowed something that would take place in her future. And the daily manna or the daily bread that God provided for the nation of Israel as she wandered in the wilderness, that will take place again. At that point in the middle of the tribulation, Israel will be hiding from the Antichrist in the wilderness, and God will provide daily bread for her. Forgive us our debts or our sin debts or transgressions as we forgive our debtors or as we forgive those who sin and transgress against us, is what that means. Israel will be severely persecuted during the tribulation by those loyal to the Antichrist. The mark of the beast is for the purpose to more easily identify those not loyal to Antichrist so they can be found and persecuted and killed. God's will for believing Israel in that day is that they forgive those who afflict them. Israel is actually required at that time to forgive in order to be forgiven of their sin debts. And that's what the Lord says right after this prayer in verses 14 and 15. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is very unlike the instruction given to the body of Christ under grace, where we are taught the opposite, that we are to forgive others because we are already forgiven. Ephesians 4.32 clearly says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So which instruction from God's word do we obey? Do we obey the instruction to forgive others in order to be forgiven? Or to forgive because we are forgiven? When we rightly divide the word, we learn that we are to obey Christ's instruction for his church today under grace found in the letters of Paul. This requirement of forgiveness to be forgiven written on the heels of the Lord's prayer also shows how that prayer is not for us under grace. And lead us not into temptation. When we see that statement, our first thought should be, what temptation? And in the tribulation period, they will have one gigantic temptation. The temptation in that day will be great to take the mark of the beast so they can buy and sell the basic necessities of life. According to Revelation 14, 9 through 11, if anyone takes the mark of the beast, they are immediately marked by God for the lake of fire. The mark of the beast is the great temptation of the tribulation, and believers will have to endure to the end and overcome this temptation, and they are taught to pray not to be led into situations that tempt them to take that mark. 
but deliver us from evil, or the evil one, literally. Israel will pray for deliverance and protection to be kept safe from the evil one in that day who is the Antichrist, who will be searching everywhere and literally hunting believing Jews to kill and destroy them all. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Again, Israel in that day will be sustained by their hope and will praise God for the coming kingdom, which is God's, established by His power and for His glory, and will last forever and ever. The Lord's Prayer has real meaning, and it is not for us today. It applies to Israel, those who will go through the tribulation period, and thus we should not repeat it like so many religiously do today. We don't pray. We're not taught how to, as we're taught how to pray under grace, we don't pray with meaningless chants and religious repetitions or rehearsed prayers. We don't say prayers. We don't repeat prayers. We just pray, speaking as a child to a loving father, knowing that God is interested, that God is involved in every area of our lives, and he desires for us to turn to him constantly and to take everything to the Lord in prayer. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. The Twofold Purpose of God is a paperback 88-page book written by Pastor Cornelius R. Stamp, founder of the Berean Bible Society. We highly recommend this particular work for those who are new to the message of grace. Pastor Stam effectively contrasts the two programs of God in relation to the Incarnation, Crucifixion, Resurrection, Ascension, and Second Coming of Christ. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.berean.com. BereanBibleSociety.org To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.BereanBibleSociety.org Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Be careful for nothing, the Apostle Paul writes, which speaks of not worrying about anything. When our Lord was visiting Mary and Martha at their home in Bethany, the Lord told Martha, who was busy preparing the meal, He told her, Thou art careful and troubled about many things. The idea with the term careful is being full of care and trouble about day-to-day things. There are many things in life that necessarily demand our attention and care and concern and We are not called here to live a carefree life, but rather to not be anxious, to not worry and to be full of cares or constantly troubled and fearful. 
man once said to his friend, I'm really in trouble. I have a mountain of credit card debt. I lost my job. My car is being repossessed and my house is in foreclosure. But I'm not worried about it. And his friend asked, well, how can that be? And the guy said, I have hired a professional worrier and he does all my worrying for me. And his friend replied, that's fantastic. How much does a professional worrier cost? And he said, 50000 a year. And his friend said, well, that's expensive. Where are you going to get that kind of money? And the man replied, I don't know. That's for him to worry about. God doesn't want us to be professional warriors. We're, as you look at the book of Philippians, this is a book that teaches us about joy. And worry is a joy stealer. God wants us to not worry about anything and instead to be prayerful for everything. George Mueller writes, The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. 1 Peter 5, 7 says that God wants His own to cast all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. The Lord cares deeply for each of us, and He wants to bear all our burdens and cares. As we cast all our care on Him, we do so knowing that we cast it onto the all-wise, all-powerful, living God who is overall and in control. There is tremendous comfort in knowing that God is more than able to handle all of our problems and that in His love, He wants us to share our burdens and cares and give them all to Him. He wants us to trust Him in all things. A lady came to the great preacher of the last century, G. Campbell Morgan, and she said, she told him, I only take the big things to God. I don't take the little things to God. G. Campbell Morgan looked at her and said, Lady, anything you take to God is little. We can bring everything to God because anything we bring to Him is little to Him, no matter how big it is and seems to us. God is sovereign and greater than all. Nothing is too hard for Him, and everything is little to Him because He is so great and so mighty. And by His Word, we learn that He is more than big enough to solve our problems and carry our burdens. Paul writes here, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in everything by prayer, any matter of life, any circumstance, any physical or spiritual problem, any and all concerns of your heart and mind is prayer material. God wants us to give Him all our worries, all our stresses, tensions, troubles, frustrations, failures. He wants us to just pour our hearts out to Him by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. The word prayer there speaks of simply talking to God, conversing and communicating with Him. When worries creep up, God wants our first action and reaction to be to think about Him and to take it to the Lord. Lee Eklav tells the following, Travel back 200 years in Christian history to John Newton, slave trader turned pastor and hymn writer. He believed in what he called large asking. When explaining what he meant, Newton would cite a legendary story of a man who asked Alexander the Great to give him a huge sum of money in exchange for his daughter's hand in marriage. 
Alexander agreed and told the man to request of Alexander's treasurer whatever he wanted. So the father of the bride went and asked for this enormous amount. The treasurer was startled and said he could not give out that kind of money without a direct order. Going to Alexander, the treasurer argued that even a small fraction of the money requested would more than serve the purpose. And Alexander replied, no, let him have it all. I like that fellow. He does me honor. He treats me like a king and proves by what he asks that he believes me to be both rich and generous. And so Newton concluded, in the same way we should go to the throne of God's grace and present petitions that express honorable views of the love, riches, and bounty of our King. We are to take everything to God in prayer, knowing our God and how good, how generous, how gracious He is, and ask in light of this. In bringing everything to God in prayer, we express an honorable and true view of God who is deeply interested in every area of our lives. God is loving and generous, and we should pray to Him always. And when we do, we should make big, bold requests in light of the riches and bounty and majesty of our God. We also come before Him with supplication. Now, supplication speaks of specific prayers to Him about any need, making defined, intelligent, detailed requests to Him. He is eager to hear our prayers, and by that word, it shows that He wants us to spell it out to Him. You see the word supply in supplication, and that is what we do in prayer. We spell our prayers out intelligently and in detail and specifically, and we ask for God's supply in answer to our prayers. And we are to make our prayer and supplication made known to God with thanksgiving. We have many things to thank God for when we pray. Things such as that free and continual access that we have to Him. Thanking Him for hearing our prayers. Thanking Him for being interested to hear about everything in our life. We are to thank Him for specific things. Noting His working. Seeing what He has done and thanking Him for it. We should thank Him for answered prayer, and God always answers prayer, and so we thank Him for yes, no, or wait and with His answers to prayer. We should thank Him for who He is, that He is a good God, that He is a God of all grace and mercy. D.L. Moody summed up Philippians 4.6 so well when he said, Be careful for nothing, prayerful for everything, and thankful for anything. Paul goes on in verse 6 and says, Let your requests be made known unto God. Timothy Jones writes, We don't like to stand speechless or stammering before God, but that doesn't mean God holds it against us when we do. He said, I remember a vacation with my parents in France when I was in high school. I had just completed two years of French, hardly enough to make me fluent. Still, there we were, tourists wanting to make the most of our time. So, when we needed a bathroom when we wanted to find a cafe, or when I lost my eyeglasses, I falteringly used my butchered French. I was trying to, to the politely suppressed laughter of others, to speak the language. 
But I remember more than the townspeople's amusement. I remember how they warmly received my efforts. They strained to hear past my fractured sentences. They honored me by responding. And he writes, is God any less generous? And Timothy Jones continues that he hears all that arises from us, the words of our mouth, the longings of our hearts, the thoughts of our minds, the intentions of our wills, regret, grief, thanksgiving, hope. God hears our emotions, not just our grammar. Because of his grace, not our eloquence, we can pray even if we stammer. And what it comes down to for how to pray under grace is this, just pray. Pray all the time. Pray about everything. We should let prayer be our practice. Let prayer be our passion. God wants us to let our requests be made known unto Him, no matter how it comes out. And we pray knowing that, that He hears our hearts and He hears our emotions, not just our words. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. As we are anxious for nothing, and instead pray and share our concerns with God with thanksgiving, we have a promise from God. The promise isn't that He will answer every prayer, prayer and give us all that we ask or desire if we believe, like He promised Israel under her program. God's promise for us, the body of Christ today under grace, is that God's peace, which transcends all human reason or understanding, will keep or guard or garrison our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. God's peace will garrison our thoughts and emotions and keep worry, anxiety, doubts, and fears out and keep His rest, comfort, peace, strength, and security within. And God's peace stands guard over the two areas that create worry. The heart, our feelings, our emotions, and the mind, our intellect, and our thinking. J. Oswald Sanders has rightly said, Peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is the presence of God. Christ is our peace. And the peace that passes all understanding is His presence in our lives. Right in this context, verse 5 talks about that the Lord is at hand. And a closer walk with the Lord results in a greater and deeper peace. Dave Dravecki, a former major league pitcher who lost his pitching arm to cancer, said this, I have learned that God's silence to my questions is not a door slammed in my face. I may not have answers, but I do have Him. And that's where peace is found. As we pray, as we trust the Lord, as we grow closer to Him, we'll find and experience God's all-surpassing, quiet peace that, like Him, can't be fully described or understood. And His peace comes to us as we trust and we pray and we draw nearer and nearer to Him. Corey Tenboom once said, Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? May prayer not just be for emergency use only, but for power and for guidance in life, for fellowship with the Lord, and to grow closer to Him throughout our lives. As we do so, our lives will be transformed by grace.
Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.